This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Hoop Ball Lakers podcast proudly brings to you another episode of What We Do Best. And on today's podcast, we are blessed with a very special guest who we'll get to in just a minute. And if I sound excited, it is because I am fully caffeinated and ready to go. Thanks to our main guys over at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee. Of course, you can find them anywhere. Coffee is sold pretty much and definitely on Amazon. And as I teased it before on Twitter, and then once again for this intro, it's time to introduce the man himself, Darius Soriano. He is the owner, the editor, the writer, the Twitter man extraordinaire of Form Blue and Gold. Darius, welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Kind words about um, extraordinaire, I think, was a little extra. So we'll see if I can live up to it. You know, we like we like to be a little extra around here, so you just fit in with the crowd with the title. You know what I mean? Sure. Appreciate yeah. you. Appreciate your time, Darius. If you are not already following Darius on Twitter, I don't know that you can really call yourself a Lakers fan, to be honest with you. But for some reason, if that is the case, please correct it right now. You can find him at Form Blue 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 Gold. I always get it mixed up because the site itself is FormBlueAndGold.com. I'm sure that's happened to more than just myself in that process. In that process. And wouldn't you know it, Darius, as a podcast man himself, is also the co-host of the Laker Film Room podcast. And if you are not already subscribed to that, change that immediately because there is some excellent insight going on over there. Darius, you are just, you know, I think when a lot of Lakers fans, you know, look for their information on on Twitter, they Google something, they wind up on Forum Blue and Gold. I mean, how's, how's it feel to be the keeper of those keys, man? I mean, I've said this a lot that, it's still funny to me. Like, I'm just a regular guy, right? Like, I'm a regular guy. I'm a Laker fan. I love the Lakers um, for a long time. And I just try to give honest and um, honest and, and I, I guess, solid perspective that's grounded, right? Like, I feel like this is sports. It's not the end of the world. Um, we should be able to talk about things in a reasonable way and sort of stay away from like all the hyperbole and everything that comes with following sports in like the Twitter era, right? Before the Twitter era, I feel like it was the talk radio era and lots of bombastic quotes. And if that's what you're looking for, you're probably the, you're probably following the wrong guy. So I I just try to keep it real, I suppose for lack of a better term, um, and 
just give folks what I have to say, and hopefully they like it. You know, it's so interesting. So quick, quick fun fact for our listeners, right? Darius and I go back a little bit, had the pleasure of calling him a colleague uh, when I worked for Bleacher Report and Darius served as a writer over there for a brief period of time. Don't worry, we won't go too far down that rabbit hole. But just for some context, I think that's important to mention about how we first got connected. You know, I think it's just so funny that there's certain there's a certain level of celebrity to it, for lack of a better word to use. You know, when you are such a dedicated presence in the online sphere, especially with NBA Twitter, right, and the NBA social media, because it is so hot and heavy when it comes to basketball, that I, I think there are people who legitimately think you're Tariq Black. Am I wrong? <laughs> Sometimes people do say, what's up with the Avi? Or I thought you were Tariq Black. Or that's what I thought you looked like. Or I wasn't sure who that was. Because, you know, like, I mean, Tark Black was, un- unless you're a diehard Laker fan or a diehard NBA fan, a player like Tark Black could maybe slip through the cracks a little he's bit, su- right? He's, su- he's such an obscure player. He's f- he's from my Josh Powell files. Yes. And, and so I chose that Avi, though. Um, that Avi is a picture from a night that the Lakers were playing the Kings. I don't know if you recall this, but there was a I bit do- of a dust up. I, be- yes. I believe Demarcus Cousins was at the yes. center of it, was he not? Yes, there was a bit of a dust-up between my guy Julius Randle and uh, Demarcus Cousins. The Lakers had won, and then Cousins sort of uh, buzzer-sounded, and Cousins sort of came across the court to get in Julius Randle's face a little bit. And Tarek Black, being the good teammate that that he was, was sort of side-by-side side with Julius Randle. And he sort of gave this look of, come on, man, to, to DeMarcus Cousins. And I saw that, and I thought, I'm going to clip that, man. That's just like the perfect face, it's especially for, for, for Twitter, I feel like. Because you know you're oh, yeah. on Twitter. And you could sometimes get into some of these exchanges with with people who jump in your mentions or maybe a popular account retweets you. And then suddenly you've got a lot of folks who you don't even really interact with a lot sort of coming at you sideways a little bit. And, and, and so there, there, there's plenty of times where I just feel like, you know, look at the Abby. And that's really my response all of this so it's 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 so it's so appropriate and and just in the jumping in the mentions part i remember there was one time that ramona shelburne big fan by the way okay one time she decided to retweet one of my tweets it just happened to be about you know Dwayne wade and the miami heat and how they were structuring their salary and wade's brief uh, tenure in chicago and boy you would have thought that my tweet deck absolutely melted my hard drive with how fast and furious these responses were coming it was something else no, a, a giant account like someone like Ramona <clears throat> or Zach Lowe, right, or someone like that, um, it can be t- a totally innocuous tweet as well, right? But oh, totally. what I found from being online um, is that someone's always going to be mad about something. <laughs> it, All it's the time. So it does not take much to rankle um certain people and it that's just how how it goes though right it, it's it's just well, of course you have a certain platform and this is how how it goes like one of the mottos that i feel like everyone should, should live by is you're never going to make everyone happy and so just do the best that you can and as long as you operate with a certain amount of 
honesty and integrity, then you should be able to sleep at night for yourself. And that's really all that matters. Well said. And and might I add just one thing to that, which is you need a quality piece of stone fruit to really feel like you've had an accomplished day. Am I right? That's right. That's right. So, you know, we, we, we've, we've had a demand recently. Now, a, a few episodes prior, we may have experienced this uh, moment, shall we say, that we dedicated to the fruit minute. And there has been a demand for a return of the fruit minute. So I just want to get up on a platform and say we have heard the people. The fruit minute is on its way back. And I, for one, am just stoked to see some mango nectarines at the farmer's market this weekend. Is there anything that you are anticipating? Oh, I'm not even sure. Like, man, so <laughs> just every so just all stone fruit. It, it's it's like whatever is good. The the best thing to do is when you go to the far farmers market is you you assume that everything's good, but when you're talking to the people who are selling the fruit, just ask them like, what's good this week, and the, and they will steer you in the right direction, right? Like, uh, oh, these are the course. ones you want this week. Right. And, and my, so, my, oh, that's that's my, my favorite. My favorite is when you ask that question and they turn around and they pull out the cart that's not even out yet. And they say, hey, these are the ones you want. Pick from these. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's that, exactly that, that is that that is the moment. So, you know, mango nectarines have a very brief season, by the way, maybe two weeks, three if you're lucky. But uh, whew, that is one delicacy that everybody should experience before they die. And that is an important dedication to the fruit minute. So aren't you glad you were a part of that? Yeah, I am. Uh, we should just keep Fruitman and going. And, you know, who needs to talk about the Lakers? I totally agree. Right. But, you know, I think most people who are listening to this eventually want to hear about the Lakers. So we're going to make that smooth transition, you know, and, and honestly, man, one of the things that, you know, I, I've really respected about your work long before that we've had a chance to even interact as, as colleagues and, you know, as uh, Lakers friends, let's call it, or whatever the right online term is these days, is that, you know, you do, like you said, you give grounded takes. It's not just based in, you know, Lakers colored shades. It's not just negative for the sake of being negative. I think you do a good job of, you know, offering something fair and reasonable that's also defensible. And on Twitter, that's like seeing a unicorn. So I, I really appreciate that for, for its rarity. But also in Lakerland, I feel like, you know, we discussed this a little bit before we started taping, is that people tend to gravitate toward the extremes, right? And especially on Twitter, it's it's really the extremes. And in a world where it's not just black and white all the time, there are plenty of shades of gray in between. I think it's important to, to really have that level of content for such a fan base that really consumes anything. And, and this is something that's, you know, I've called call it a crusade for lack of a better word, but just my personal agenda is that, you know, fans and media and everybody involved in the information sharing process, we have such a responsibility because we've never had access to such information unfiltered in real time, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to information digestion and information sharing, I think we have a responsibility in, you know, what we consume, but also in what we share and to have an opinion on something for five seconds and then make a black and white claim i just think that's sort of ridiculous so i think it's really um it's something that the it fills a nice niche in lakers land we'll call it and i, I appreciate that from you man no i'm i mean first of all thanks well thanks for saying that but i'm really just a person who like give me as much information as i can get in order to really get me to a point where it's time to sort sort of make definitive or or come to conclusions, right? So, so I want more data. I want more information. I'm always looking for context, 
And I think that that's super important rather than jumping to conclusions quickly, because as you know, um, there's always a bit of information that we that we don't know. And there's information that we'll likely never know. And and to speak definitively too well too quickly, you're you're likely not giving yourself enough of an out, right? To to be able to change totally. up and and be able to say, now I have new information and and let me allow that to carry the proper amount of influence when we're actually coming to a conclusion or making a final determination on something. And I feel like when it comes to to the Lakers, um, that's especially true. It, the, the Lakers are under such a microscope and the spotlight is so bright on them that um, the public source sort of thirsts for information um, in, in a way that I think is really unparalleled in the NBA. Um, and I feel like that that often leads to um, people want, wanting to fill that vacuum with coverage and, and information. And I feel like it's, it's impossible to really have opinions on all of this stuff. Right. And so for me personally, it's, it's more about trying to make determinations early on on like what's going to matter to me and and what's not and it's why I run this run my site the way that I run it and and have my twitter feed be the way that my twi twitter feed is is as well is that I'm I really want to talk about the games and what's going on on the court and what goes into making things work from a basketball standpoint. So it, it's very easy to sort of get caught up in the NBA and we'll get into this too with like the Anthony Davis trade and, and, and everything else with that. But the off court stuff, the transactional part of the league, that stuff is, is obviously important. It, it, it helps drive ratings and it helps bring interest to, well, to the game. But for me, the point of being a fan is, Okay, well, what's happening on the court and in the games, and how can that improve? How can you get um, where you need need to be from a schematic standpoint, and from rotations, and 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 personnel acquisitions, and and lineup data, and all the stuff that goes into that? And, and so that's my perspective as as a fan, and I feel like that's what then gets disseminated out to the masses by me with the platform that that I have, however big or small it is. I just think it's so fascinating, man, because, you know, I don't know if you could hear the excitement on your side of things, but there was something inside of me just wanted to scream out and start going, yes, 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 like Daniel Brian would. Because what you have to say is so important, I think, in an age of, you know, constant information where kids are growing up and really now adults who have grown up have always had information so accessible and so immediately that when something becomes a challenging thought or it becomes information that's hard to find, we try to fill in the gaps with the voids or, or the voids with the things that we think make sense. And we sort of tell ourselves the story that we think we want to hear. Right. And so I just think it's really interesting what you have to say. And it's really important 
because, you know, on Twitter, especially if you have an opinion on one thing ever, you're never allowed to change your mind. Of course, you know the rules of Twitter and how things go. But as we get more information and access to things, of course, we're going to have new thoughts in the process. I mean, that's sort of what critical thought is and analysis and the ability to say, hey, you know what? I was actually wrong or, hey, you know what? This does confirm what I previously thought and being able to incorporate new information once it's been received, I think is such an important thing, not only for basketball, you know, but, all, but also for life. And as a teacher, man, this is what I spend my time talking about to my students is that, look, you don't have to know something right away. And I tell them all the time, I say, it's okay to say, you know, I don't know yet because of something. I said, when the answer just stops at, I don't know, that's when, you know, there's been a checking out or giving up in the process. If you say, I don't know yet because I don't have enough information, or I don't know yet because I want to learn more, or some variation of this, then there's an indication that you're thinking and that you want to learn more about it. And I think in this um, society, for lack of a better way to say it, where people are validated by how many likes they have on an Instagram post or how many retweets or favorites a, a tweet gets, you know, there's this drive or this urge to satisfy a, a crave for information, whether it's right or wrong. And I think that that style of thinking can really wash over a lot of people and, and have people start to be programmed the wrong way. And what you have to say about being a fan, man, I think is just fascinating because for me, you know, how I first got pulled into the game and, you know, why I do what I do. And if you've never seen the Simon Sinek, uh, Ted talk about, you know, explaining your why, highly suggested, right? It's why TiVo failed and why DVR wins. Please take the time to watch that. And, you know, for me, I was always pulled in by the the off-court stuff, not really the headlines or the drama or anything like that, but the transaction game and the strategy and figuring out how all the pieces fit. But having spent some time on the coach in the coaching side, too, I can understand in terms of how the pieces fit on the court and how those two brains operate together, I think, is what makes a successful organization. And I know both Rob Palenka and Frank Vogel, to bring it full circle back to the Lakers, have spent a lot of time talking about everybody being on the same page. So... For you, Darius, I'm sure that's an important point, but like, you know, how did you f get into this position? Like, how did you fall in love with the Lakers? How did you come to to be such an integral part of the game for so many people's experiences? I mean, so I so I grew up just watching the Lakers. Um, I say this a lot, but you if there's two people who made me fall fall in love with the Lakers, it was Magic Johnson and Chick Hearn. Right. And so so Chick Hearn was the voice of the Lakers and Magic Johnson was the guy who was orchestrating the action on on well, well on the court. So I so I grew up watching the Showtime Lakers. They were obviously super successful. So when you're a kid too, right? Like, oh, the team that's always on is also the team that's always winning. And so those two things go go hand in hand to make you like, oh, the, well this is fun. The the team that I always get to watch is the team who's competing deep into the playoffs every single year or winning the championship. Um, and then as I started to get into my teenage years, I started to play a little bit of basketball. Um, and I modeled my game after like, Oh, I, I want to play like, I want to play like those Showtime Lakers guys. I want to play like magic Johnson or, or I want to, you know, finish in the lane. Like I'm James worthy or, or go to the cup hard like I'm Byron Scott, or play defense like I'm Michael Cooper, right? So all of these guys were just influences to me as someone who grew up watching the game and then ended up wanting to 
to play the game. And so, you you know, these things get set in you as you're a child. And then as you grow up, those bonds just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And And then as I started to get into, like, my high school and college years, you start to have the rest of your life sort of start to inform your worldview, right? And and then you start to apply that worldview to all of these other things that matter to you in life. And so in college, I studied history and and sociology, and those things sort, sort of inform my perspective on, I guess, offering sort, sort of grounded takes and always looking for more information and trying to see both sides of something and looking at all of the different angles that make the whole, right? And then I start to apply that to how I look at basketball, and then I start to write some, and then it just sort of all comes together when I start contributing at a site like Foreign Blue and Gold, and then ultimately I take the site over, and now it's been mine for nearly a decade, right? And and I just try to stay consistent with with what my worldview is and and let that be a driver behind how I see all aspects of my life, including like how it informs being a fan. So I mean, when you can articulate your why as good as you just did, I think you got a really purposeful life and I, th- I think that's beautiful advice and beautiful perspective, whether we're talking basketball, whether we're talking Lakers, or we're just talking, you know, just generally as humans. So I appreciate that from you, man. And, you know, talk about running the site for the last decade. I know uh, to make what we call a transition or a segue, right? I know the Lakers would be very happy if Anthony Davis were around for the next decade. In fact, I think Rob Palinka spoke to that phrase exactly at his press conference when it was opening up. You know, I thought the Anthony Davis press conference was interesting in the sense that, you know, we all knew it was coming. Obviously, we've only talked about what's felt this move for what's felt like 10 years. It's not even been a couple months, really. But at the same time, you know, the follow up interview, of course, of course, was with ESPN's Rachel Nichols. And she asked, you know, what I feel like is an obligatory question. And, you know, Anthony Davis, do you see do you see yourself with these Lakers beyond this year with only one year remaining on his contract? And. I think we saw the mistakes of Kyrie Irving last year and a lot of things that he did publicly and what he had to say. You know, it's hard when you have someone who's that notable and Anthony Davis, I would say, is a superstar, a term that I think is too liberally thrown around in this NBA because there are so many really talented players. But I think superstars should be reserved for those true top of the top. And I would put Anthony Davis in that conversation. So when you have a superstar, he has so much to lose in this case by saying, yes, I'll definitely be back and then go in reverse course like we saw with Kyrie Irving, right? Obviously, he signed with the Brooklyn Nets. But, you know, I just think that with Anthony Davis saying, well, you know, we're going to see how it goes this year, and, you know, we'll go from there. Palenka, he gave AD a ton of say in this roster, and I, and I think two things on that. You know, it confirms two things. One is that tampering is, is the most ridiculous thing ever, and why we find anybody for it at this point, I really don't even know, because Anthony Davis wasn't officially a Laker until last weekend, and he had say in building out this entire roster. But more importantly than that for me is I think Palinka feels very good about Anthony Davis remaining. And look, with the LeBron factor, clutch sports, we could sit here and point out all the reasons why it should be a long-term marriage. But the reality is, is that, you know, we want to feel like it's a foregone conclusion, but is it? I guess is my question to you. I'm, I mean... 
I hope, right? I, I mean, we all we all hope, right? Yeah, I just think you you have to leave that sliver, or even more than than a sliver of, okay, they have to keep doing all of the right things, right? And and so I I actually wrote about this at 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 Forum Blue and Gold. You beat me to it. I wanted to bring it up. And, and you know, Anthony Davis is is square in his prime, right? And I could easily see him staying long term. I could see him leaving, although I think that that's like a smaller chance. I, but I could also see him sort of taking a page from the LeBron playbook from his second return to Cleveland, which is so, sort of signing a series of one plus one or sh- or shorter contracts in order to continue to leverage and retain leverage over the organization while building up service years in order to get to the point where he's eligible for his th- for his full 35% max right the the good thing about the lakers and i think that this still matters is that they have a bunch of things going for them with with davis a um just like you said the the rich paul lebron james connection with clutch sports um the fact that palinka i feel like is doing the right thing by already engaging him and talking about the lakers relationship with superstar players as being a partnership and sort of playing that out within the context of of bouncing ideas off of him and and making him feel like hopefully a thought partner within how they are going to move together forward in terms of how to build out the roster and make the organization as strong as they can, the on-court product especially. Um, And then I also think too, like, look, they have Anthony Davis's bird rights. They traded for him. They can already offer him the, they can offer him more money than anyone else, not necessarily based off of his starting salary, right? Which any team can offer him his max in terms of first year salary, but in year to year raises, they can offer him more, which I think will matter as well. Right. And so I think all of those things come together to paint, um, a good picture for the Lakers chances of retaining Anthony Davis, but like everything else. And I said this when there were rumors about LeBron James coming to the Lakers or rumors that the Lakers might trade for Anthony Davis or rumors that Kawhi Leonard was going to choose the Lakers is I will believe it when it actually happens. Right. And, and so, so I'm just going to wait. We'll wait until next July. And in the meantime, and this is what I wrote at the site, like you need to enjoy this for what it is in the moment, right? I feel like as fans, it's super easy to sort of start to stress and look at 12 months from now and what could or might be rather than focusing on what are these next nine months going to look like? And how can I enjoy that as being a fan, right? Because, and and this goes back to what I was talking to you about earlier in the pod, is what matters to me is the games, right? And the Lakers have Anthony Davis and they have LeBron James. You better believe I'm going to invest myself in that 
before I start to worry about what's going to happen in free agency, you know, 12 months from now. Two top five players, one square in his prime, the other with a lot to prove and more time off than he's ever had in his illustrious career. Yeah, I think I'm going to sit down and watch a few uh, episodes of that TV show coming to a theater near you, shall we say. But I think you make a good point about, you know, really enjoying the moment, especially in the NBA where we project so far out in advance. And I think, look, we have multiple franchises as an example of that. The Knicks, I understand the Kristaps Porzingis situation presented a unique dynamic, but they literally traded away their future for a chance at a chance. And rather than winding up with anything glitzy, glamorous, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, we wound up with Julius Randle and a bunch of questionable signings for lack of a better way to group them together and it's not the moves that i would have done but that's a conversation for a different day but i think in the nba more than any other sport at least in my experience you have so many uh fans who are valuing tomorrow over today right maybe baseball does this a little bit too with prospects i will say that but i think that's this idea that oh tomorrow is more valuable than today well we're alive today we're, we're living in today like I, I want cash in my hand today if we're talking about money so when it comes to the lakers i think it's all about maximizing the today and i think that started with lebron signing last year right any sort of player development priorities i don't want to say went out the window but they kind of went out the window because lebron's at the stage of his career where it's about winning and it's always been about winning for him so it's about maximizing that and I think at the time, you know, there was such an interesting uh, trajectory, right? It went from the Lakers don't have anywhere near enough to satisfy the Anthony Davis trade request to, wow, the Lakers gave up way too much for Anthony Davis. But then we got this these two trades, shocking, I mean, truly shocking, right? Paul George and Russell Westbrook, Paul George to the Clippers and Westbrook, obviously, to the Rockets. And judging in that context, the acquisition costs, which, you know, Lonzo, B.I., Hart, the fourth pick, the unprotected, what feels like it'll convey in 2022. We got the unprotected swap in 2023. And then in either 2024 or 2025, with New Orleans deciding, they get that first round pick from the Lakers. And, you know, I just think the acquisition cost in that context, given what those other teams gave up for those players and Paul George and Russell Westbrook, that has to make you feel better as a Lakers fan and just generally as a basketball fan, right? Yeah, so, and I think that it it can be all of that, right? It can be the Lakers gave up a lot, which they did. Mm -hmm. It can be that the cost of business for Anthony Davis could almost be viewed as being less than what the cost of business was in order to acquire Paul, well, Paul George, which is, you know, definitely a point in the Lakers' favor, right? Because when you consider who is probably the better player, um, it would be Davis, and he's also younger and all that goes goes with that. You could also look at it from the Clippers' perspective and say, well, the Clippers basically got Paul George and Kawhi with the Paul George acquisition. And, and so there's a bunch of different angles to look at that that type of stuff from. But when you look at the Lakers, their timeline was definitely accelerated when they got LeBron James. I thought that there was a pathway to still retain more of the young core than they actually did when they only ended up keeping Kuzma. Um, it would have been nice to have kept one of the three sort of frontline assets that I would call it um, within the Davis trade. And I identify those as... Um, Lonzo Ingram or the number four pick right if they could have kept one one of those I think that they clearly would have been in much better position moving forward that said I think that they recovered well with 
the moves that they made during free agency. And so we're going to see how things go. They built out a veteran team. They traded for Anthony Davis, who is only 26, right? So Kyle Kuzma, I think, is 24. Um, and so to get a player of Anthony Davis's quality that is really only a couple of years old, old older than than Kyle Kuzma, and then to be able to then grab some key veteran players and on what I think are probably team-friendly deals just based off of contract length, I think the Lakers have done well for for themselves. They still have to go out on the court and prove it, but I think that they've built out a pretty conventional roster to support LeBron James and flank Anthony Davis, right? In terms of shooting, um, defense in the backcourt. They got a, a couple of big men who can play next to Anthony Davis, especially the DeMarcus Cousins, which, you know, some folks will say, oh, well, Boogie and AD, how good was the mix really in in New Orleans? When those two shared the court, the Pelicans had a net rating of, I think, plus four or 4.1. So them together, they were the foundation of positive lineups while while with the Pelicans now obviously that's pre-injury for DeMarcus Cousins and he's since you know torn torn his Achilles and then he he tore his quadricep muscle but when you were talking earlier about a player with something to prove and I know you were talking about LeBron James DeMarcus Mm -hmm. Cousins is also a player with with something to prove and it was not long ago that he was um an all-NBA player and, and and so I'm not saying I have high expectations necessarily for what DeMarcus Cousins will be, but I definitely have um, a sense of encouragement about what he can be, right? And, oh, absolutely. I mean, the, and for three and a half million dollars, I mean, come on. Yeah, the 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 return on investment can definitely be high, right? And, and so when you when in getting back to what the Lakers gave up to get Davis, I think you make that trade every day of the week. You acquire a truly elite talent square in the middle of, of his prime and, and you take that chance. And with all of the factors that we talked about before that, that skew more positive of your chances to retain Anthony Davis, then look, man, you're cooking. You've got you've got LeBron James, you you've got Anthony Davis, you signed complimentary players. It's it's time to get this thing going, right? And and while I think Kyle Kuzma is a player who needs to improve in, in very specific ways in 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 order to to get to his ceiling, he is a good young player who is very um, complimentary to LeBron James as as a talent. And he can slot right in between LeBron and Davis um, in 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 closing lineups and really help this team. So 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 while we talked earlier about me being grounded and not trying to get too optimistic, I I, I, I can hear you getting excited like, over there. 
yeah, I I definitely do feel excited about this specific Lakers team and much more so than what I've been since probably pre-Achilles tear Kobe, right? Oh, Oh, for sure. And I think you took a lot of the words out of my mouth. And that's what I was going to say. This is definitely the best Lakers roster that I've seen top to bottom since, you know, pre-Achilles tear Kobe, like you said. As far as AD's future with the Lakers, I think, look, it's it's 80-20 because I, I like to live by something in life called the 80-20 rule, which is, you know, don't trade the 80 for the 20. And I just think we always have to be that pragmatic when th- talking about things that can be so volatile and, you know, moves that can be variable and not based on uh, within things that are, you know, immediately within our control. Sometimes, sometimes a player just wants to do things for on his own accord, but I feel as optimistic as you could possibly feel about at this point in the process. I'd like to say, I really don't think the Lakers make this move if they're not receiving some very certain assurances on the back end for lack of a better phrase. And, you know, when it comes to the trade itself, like you said, I make that deal a hundred times out of a hundred without hesitation. I think for me, the one thing is like, I've been really vocal in the past about, I would have loved to have kept Brandon Ingram, right? I'm pretty high on Brandon Ingram more so than a lot of people. But I feel like if you're looking at the totality of that package, the one player who may have been negotiable is probably Josh Hart and that's not Lonzo and that's not BI and that's not the fourth pick so if that's the deal and that gets the deal done so be it that's all fine and good Brandon Ingram is such an interesting player for me I think you know in the right context I'm curious to see what happens with him in New Orleans because they do have so many young pieces and so many uh so much interchangeability within that lineup as it's currently constructed. But, you know, B.I. is definitely a guy I would have liked to have held on to. But I think Kuzma, like you said, because he can and will slot so well between A.D. and LeBron, they definitely slanted more in his favor. And, you know, he's 23, he's not 24, but the point is still the same, I think, in that you're Anthony Davis, it feels like he's been dominating the NBA for a decade, right? Obviously, he hasn't, do the math. But at the same time, for the fact that he's only 26 and you are acquiring him at this point in his career, that is so significant. And it does play into that acquisition cost. And, you know, because they went all out for Anthony Davis, it's a player worth going all out for. You know, it leaves the Lakers in this spot of, you know, it's opportunity cost, right? When you push all your chips in the middle you can't really pursue any other paths. We saw that with the Sixers a little bit last season when Elton Brand went all in on Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, right? And he sort of rebounded on the fly, turned Jimmy Butler into Al Horford somehow, and I still don't know how that quite happened, but that's a discussion for a different day. And I think when we're talking about the Lakers, the opportunity cost of acquiring AD is there's just not a left, not a lot left to deal from, from from a future asset standpoint, right? Your picks are pretty much tapped out, and you just have limited trade opportunities because you have all these guys either on one-year deals or or what it's being called a two-year deal. But if it's with an option, then it's really a one-year deal, and with that comes the de facto no trade clause. Yeah, they they are especially with KCP and McGee, right? And, and, right. and so the thing about KCP's contract, though, is is as I'm very interested in how this plays out. Um, you know, he got a 15% trade kicker. Um, his salary actually has the opportunity to be more than what his cap hit will be, um, based off of like unlikely bonuses and just the way shout that his contract ma- was structured. Major, major shout out to Eric Pincus, by the way. Yes, yes. No, he he definitely forecasted that very well when he was talking about some some of the contract structures that the Lakers might might look to um to work in order to optimize all of their cap space. And so my whole thing with with the Lakers is that so I look at it from 
both sides, right? There is definitely limitations put on their ability to make future trades. I also, though, um, look at it from the perspective of this is one of the first seasons in what, four years? three or four years where the Lakers are looking at the possibility of having the same like core eight to 10 guys on, on the team for more than just one season. Every year, this roster is turned over every year. The roster turns over by 60, 70, 80%. And this year was no different. Right. Like they ended up retaining Rondo and then LeBron and Kuzma obviously come come back from from last year's team JaVale McGee and KCP come come back. So there's some continuity there. But the and Caruso not, as well, I was I was going to say, let's not forget about the AC unit. Yeah. And, and then Caruso as well. So that's a nice little recovery in order to bring back some key players who can contribute for you and, and have solid roles for you this upcoming season. But that's still basically half the roster got turned over again. The season before was the same way, half the roster. The season before that, again, 60, 70% of the roster. And year after year after year, you churn and churn and churn. And I feel like for this upcoming season and then the season after that, if those options do get get picked up, the Lakers are going to be in position to actually have some continuity, right? And the players who are on two-year deals um, or have player options, if KCP picks up his, his player option, okay, he instantly becomes a tradable asset at that point because he no longer has his quote unquote, no trade clause because his, his bird rights transfer with his trade, right? Because he would have achieved three years of service time with the Lakers after this upcoming season. And then he has full bird rights. So if he picks up his option and he gets trade, trade, traded, he can't say no to that. His de facto, no trade clause comes from the fact that he would be losing his bird rights in any deal where where he leaves the Lakers. And the other guy with the player option, I think, is Rajon Rondo. He's on the minimum. If he doesn't pick right. up his option, who cares? If, right. Like, if the Lakers, in theory, if they wanted to get rid of Rondo in season, they could just waive him. Like, I don't think it's going right. to come to that. But he's on a minimum contract. Those guys, from a roster development standpoint, they don't carry a bunch of value and Anyway, the other guys that the Lakers have on two-year deals, Cook and Caruso and Danny Green, if if it really and McGee also has a de facto no well well no trade clause. But any of those guys, you can aggregate salary with them. But I have a feeling that those guys are gonna be the most useful pieces the Lakers have for the next upcoming two well, well, two seasons. Cook is a nice backup point guard, he's he's a shooter. I have high hopes for how Caruso is going to develop over the next two years. And I think that the Lakers got Danny Green at a very good price for what will likely be his last two, like, strong performing NBA seasons. So this is one of the reasons why I'm optimistic about this team moving forward is because I like these guys. I think they can all play. They're rotation level guys. 
Definitely. I think the structure, the key takeaway, I think, for the common thread for Lakers fans is the structure and construction of this particular Lakers roster makes way more sense than pretty much anything that was done last summer outside of signing LeBron James. So that in and of itself is reason for optimism, as are all of the things that you just outlined so beautifully. And we talk so much about turnover. That's also the case in the coaching staff, right? Obviously, Frank Vogel's the new man. Some people might think Jason Kidd is actually the head coach because he was interviewed to be the head coach, and then he interviewed so well for that position that they wanted to offer him an assistance job, right? We all following that logic. Okay, good. Glad we're all together on that one. Lionel Hollins comes aboard, and more recently, Phil Handy. So Vogel has a lot of experience and some heavy hitters on his staff. You know, what, in your opinion, is you know, the most notable name, right? I guess of the assistants, right? Kid is probably the, the headliner, for lack of a better way to say it. But is it Lionel Hollins? Is it Phil Handy, who could be of greater impact? And do you think that there's pressure on Frank Vogel? Well, of course, he coaches the Lakers, right? Anthony Davis is going to yeah. deal with something with the Lakers that he's never dealt with with the Pelicans, which is the scrutiny of every night. And Frank Vogel is going to be subjected to the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys adjust, Anthony Davis, Vogel notwithstanding. But is it just because, like, there are so many people who are sitting here saying, hey, Frank Vogel is going to be under pressure because of the staff that he's surrounding himself with. But for me, like, I just think that's the dynamic with LeBron and now, especially with AD and the expectations of this team, regardless of Billy, Bob and Joe were on the bench with him. Yeah, I just think that Vogel's going to experience pressure the same way that every Lakers head head coach feels pressure. Right. right? And um, you you magnify that with the addition of LeBron James and then let's double down and get you Anthony Davis as well. Right. And so I think one area where I think that Vogel is already proving to be, um, sort sort of a quality head man is he's, he's sort of operating at his own pace and pushing back, not necessarily against expectations, but against, um, any ideas that outside folks, may have right like he is a super seasoned head coach who is well respected around the league and i feel like that's going to serve him well in 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 being able to sort of manage um at least the media side of this right which is super important um we saw last year how quickly things could get derailed just by media leaks and not having support, right? Luke Walton didn't have that support from from Magic Johnson, and things went awry. If there's anything that I feel like is going to matter to Vogel is that his boss hired him. Yeah, you that's know what sort I mean? of important, right? And, yeah. Yeah. and that ability to sort of say, we're in this together, let's make this work, and that just... In hindsight, that just didn't happen with Luke Walton. I mean, in the moment, I think it was easy to recognize that it wasn't happening as well. But but you're always sort of hoping for the best and looking for ways that, that these guys could sort of get back on the right path together. And once you're in the middle of the season, it's like, let's not get distracted by all the outside noise and let's circle the wagons, rally the troops and, and every other cliche will, will cliche. Right. But going into this upcoming season, there seems to be much better alignment between the front office and, 
and the head coach and Vogel at least seems to be saying the right things and carrying himself with the right demeanor that I feel like can get his staff and then the players all going in the same direction, striving towards the same goal, which is really one of the biggest parts of coaching, right? Like, uh, like, of course. But, and, and I think alignment is a, is a big part of that too. I mean, like you just, something that we do, you know, as educators is talking about, Hey, if, you, if you're teaching sixth grade and you know, the seventh grade uh, teachers, whatever their role is, they expect their students to come in with this, this, and this, but at the end, the end of sixth grade, you expect them to come out with that, that, and that, well, there's a gap in that process. Right. And just like within any organization, if you want the desired results, you have to make sure the process lines up accordingly. That's right. And so that's, I mean, I think that's where it's at with the coaching staff. And for me, like, I like what Vogel's done so far. I understand that he was the guy after the preferred guys, maybe, and that's sort of the public light on him still. But I think the more he makes himself available and the more day-to-day updates we get on the Lakers and the more visible Vogel becomes, I think his message will resonate differently for a lot of fans. And am I crazy? Like, am I just a little bit too optimistic? Or is Phil Handy actually the guy to get excited about on this coaching staff? No, I like Handy. I like him a lot. And he definitely has um, a strong reputation around the league. Um, you know, he's so one of the things that I think um, is useful here, too, is that so Phil Handy, he, he coached in L.A. under So he was on Mike Brown's staff as a player development coach. And then he coached in Cleveland. So he has a relationship, a prior relationship with with LeBron James, which I think is super important. And and he just was on the coaching staff for the Raptors. So he comes in with a certain amount of of cachet as well, just winning a championship, right? And so I don't think there's any one coach on this on this staff at this point that sort of brings all those elements to the table. One of the things that I feel like um was something that was maybe giving Jason Kidd a certain amount of power or the perception of power from the outside from an outsider's perspective was that he had this pre-established relationship with LeBron James from when they were teammates on the Olympic team, right? But now, um, to me at least, part of the thing that can maybe diffuse some of that is that Kid's no longer the only sort of coach who has those ties back to LeBron, which I think can maybe diffuse some of that um, potential tension, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. It definitely makes sense. And I think, you know, for the Lakers, it's going to be not only just about ensuring that everybody is able to be a star in their role, and I think that includes the coaches, but it's also about the communication and not allowing ego or confidence to be a driver or fear to be a driver in that process, right? Everybody should sort of be able to check everybody. That's what quality organizations do, speak the truth, but with compassion. And I think it's important that the Lakers operate not only out of the same playbook, but on the same page out of the same playbook. And that's not something we've seen in times past, but it definitely seems to be a clear area of focus and emphasis. And all of the hirings, all of the signings, all of the parts to the puzzle seem to fit the same picture. And that's certainly encouraging at this stage of the offseason, right? It is still only July, even though 
I know the face app aging thing is the next viral sensation. It feels like we've gone through an offseason like that, but it is only still mid-July. And so before we sort of wrap up this podcast and get on out of here, because, you know, we want to be appreciative of Darius's time and all the knowledge that he's already dropped. I have to ask you two very important questions. The first is, if you had to pick one Laker, Darius, to sit here and say, okay, in the middle of July, right, it's July 17th at the time that this is being recorded. On July 17th, the one Laker who needs to outperform his role for this team to sort of push forward in a meaningful way or elevate the team's ceiling, who would that player be for you and why? I would probably get back to Kyle Kuzma, who we talked about earlier. Um, to me, I think Kuzma's most likely to come off the bench this season. Um, it feels that way, right? Right, yeah. I, I just don't see Davis essentially starting at center. And I don't see... And, and he was he was pretty vocal about that in his introductory presser, right? He's like, look, I definitely prefer to play the four. And now you see why the Lakers brought in not only DeMarcus Cousins, but also return JaVale. Yeah, and so if... I think that in the end, Davis will probably close a bunch of games at center. He just won't start them there, um, which yeah. I think is yeah, fine and smart and a lot of different, right? Like, there's... a ton of different ways to to skin this cat and um the lakers would certainly be smart to get davis a certain amount of reps at center but at the right parts of the game and at the start may not be it but getting back to kuzma um i think that he has a great opportunity to be someone who comes off the bench but plays but if he plays well enough could be a part of that closing lineup and that's going to come down to him sort of getting back to some of the things he did well as a rookie namely shooting the ball um last year right sort of sort of important yeah yeah well i mean last year he was 31 percent from three but his rookie season he was at 36 percent, which is about league average but on high volume right and and from a sort of stretch four position but if Kuzma can be a player who can continue to make strides defensively, and he made strides last season, um, and starts to show a little bit more playmaking chops, he can be a super interesting bench player for the Lakers and someone who can maybe pair nicely with DeMarcus Cousins, could maybe help keep LeBron's minutes in check a certain way. Um he could obviously play next to Anthony Davis. And if Kuzma can take the next step as as a player, I think the Lakers ceiling goes up another level. Without question, there was a previous episode that we recorded where I sat here and said, look, Kyle Kuzma is the Lakers' X factor. To me, he is the player that elevates his team ceiling. And if you want to go one more, I think it's DeMarcus Cousins, right? Because if it's the DeMarcus Cousins that we talked about, the upside of DeMarcus Cousins, then that's a hell of a player to add to this roster, not only for the price, but just in general. And I think per 36 last year, a lot of people sat here and said, hey, DeMarcus Cousins looked like this or looked like that. But per 36 last year in the regular season, he was something like 23 and 12. I mean, I'll take that player, right? Yes. And I saw a fair amount of Cousins last year. There were definitely nights where he did not look he looked like a guy recovering from his Achilles being torn. Um, I I do think getting him in year two of his Achilles recovery is better than 
um, getting him in year one. Obviously, it's it's typically a two year recovery if you're going to recover in any meaningful way. And so, so getting him now, the prospects he would be next on my list, basically in terms of who can really take the Lakers to the next level, right? Um, he's 100%, he's just he's just that talented. And, oh, hundred percent. And I think people are sort of discounting his ability to impact the game based on a little bit of recency bias, if for no no other reason. No, no, no. I think that the lasting memory of him is, for now at least, is the guy who was difficult to play during the NBA Finals. That's. N- I don't think that's going to be the DeMarcus Cousins the Lakers get. That guy yeah, was a guy exactly. trying to make his way back from a torn quad who probably wouldn't have even have played if the stakes were not what they were. So, Correct. And I think the Lakers are going to pour significant time and resources and investment into making sure they get the best version possible of DeMarcus Cousins. So in order to wrap this up, I want to play a little bit of a game called Over Under. We're going to call this one the DeMarcus Cousins edition. So Darius, just over under one word answers on this for DeMarcus Cousins for you. Over under DeMarcus Cousins, point sixteen and a half per game. I'll go under. Under. Rebounds 7.0 per game. This is a team that has a lot of people capable of grabbing the ball when it comes crashing off the rim. Rebounds 7.0 per game for Young Cousins. I'm going to push. I think he averages 7. Okay. That seems like a fair number, especially with so many options down low. These next two are the more interesting ones to me, and I think to a lot of people, right? How about minutes per game and even 28.0? I'm going to go under. Under under by how much? Just out of curiosity. I'd probably put him in the 24 to 26 range. Okay, so you think he splits those center minutes with JaVale McGee with some AD small ball lineups thrown in there as well? Yeah, I think that Davis is probably going to get anywhere from six to eight minutes a game at center. And I think JaVale is probably going to be a two-shift player. Makes sense. I think that's a a role he can really exert a lot of his energy within, and we've seen him have success with even before he came to the Lakers with the Warriors. So could be some comfortable stomping grounds for JaVale. And then the last one on Cousins for me is games played, regular season games played, 63. I'm going to go over. By how much? I think he probably plays anywhere between 68 and 72 games. All right, I think if DeMarcus Cousins plays 70 games to split the difference between 68 and 72, the Lakers would have to be quite happy, don't you think? Yes, yes. I mean, look, I think Cousins is, we talked about this earlier, but I think he's going to be super motivated. He's he's now played two seasons. He's going to combine to make $8 million over these last two seasons, right? It's, it's surreal. It's it's, it's 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 almost more unbelievable. In fact, actually, it is more un- unbelievable than what's happened to Isaiah Thomas, at least for me. Yeah, I'm. I, I mean, you know, c- just considering how major his injury was, I guess I wouldn't be super surprised if you were to tell me that he would have taken one year at the contract that he got last season for the Warriors. But I would have thought he would have had a better market 
this offseason. And um, Chicago Bulls just guaranteed more money to Luke Cornett, granted over two years, than the Lakers sure. did to DeMarcus Cousins over one. So if that doesn't put it into perspective, I'm not sure what will. No, I'm, I mean, you look at a guy like even like Dwayne Dedman, right? Or right. Three, just, three years, 40 million from the Kings. Yeah, just right there. There's so many examples like that this year where I feel like big men got paid. Like, I Look at his teammate. What did JaVale McGee get, right? right. He basically got JaVale the room McGee's exception. He's making more money. Right, he's making more money than DeMarcus is. And so I would have thought that even a team like the Knicks, right, who went out and spent a bunch of money on, like, power forward center types. There was, they spent over $100 million at the four spot. There was a lot of money that got thrown around out there to, like, big men, which is something that I thought was not going to happen really anymore <laughs> with the way that the NBA was skewing. But and here's DeMarcus Cousins basically taking, you know, like a one year, like three point five million dollar deal. Um, so I have a feeling if there's any player who's going to be motivated for a bunch of reasons, including financial ones, it's DeMarcus Cousins. And, and, and so I think that games played as much as any other counting stat that you can name, right? That we just went over with, with over under, I think games played is, is going to be one of the mo- the more meaningful stats that he could put on the board this year. Absolutely. Availability is always the best ability in my book. And with AD coming in hot, LeBron coming in rested, DeMarcus Cousins coming in on a mission, it feels like a very promising time to be a Lakers fan. Darius, I could not be more grateful for all the time and insight you have shared not only with me but with our listeners. Again, you can follow Darius on Twitter at FormBlueGold. Visit the website, FormBlueAndGold.com. Darius, we'll definitely do it again in the future. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ethan. Really appreciate you having me on. All right, guys. Until next time, follow us at HoopBallLakers on Twitter. Subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcasts. And we out. This has been a HoopBall presentation. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.